Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to open them up to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, very at the very beginning. If it seems like it's been a little while since we've been together in the book of Exodus, it has. Um, I, this last uh, 13 weeks, I've been teaching a Sunday school class on covenant theology and did not think it would be wise in, in most endeavors to preach twice in the morning, teach Sunday school, and then try to preach in the evening. So David and Jason have taken up the bulk of that in the evening. But now we are back here together, and we pick up where we left off at the end of chapter 6. Our text this evening is chapter 6, verse 28, through chapter 7, verse 13. And if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. Exodus chapter 6, beginning at verse 28. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will, the, how will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt And bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, open our eyes that we might see wondrous things from your word. Open our ears, Lord, that we might hear from you, your word. Help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see the deliverance that you have given to your people. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, it is one of America's favorite storylines. Perhaps you've read it in a book or a magazine. 
or you've seen it on television or in the movies. This is the kind of story, and you'll recognize it as soon as I begin to describe it. It's the story in which there is a main character who is being drawn into conflict with someone else. A bully, perhaps. And our hero tries everything that he can to get through to the bully, trying to find common ground, trying to be persuasive, perhaps even trying to be tough. There may be a lot of tough times. There may be bumps and bruises. But eventually our hero finds just the right thing to say or to do. And the bully breaks down. And he gives up his opposition and becomes fast friends with our hero. You can almost picture the credits rolling in the film. This is what we grew up on, like Robin Hood and Little John becoming the closest of friends. Or even, in a more modern way, Darth Vader finally being won over by Luke. But if you're like me, you're a bit perplexed and disappointed that real life very often does not imitate art. Maybe you first noticed that life wasn't a mismatched buddy flick when you began witnessing in earnest to other people. You tried everything you could. Talking about God, not talking about God. Dragging people to church, asking people to come to church. Telling people not to come to church. Giving them the hard sell. Being as soft as possible. And yet, you did not have success. Churches can also act an awful lot like people in this regard. They try long sermons, short sermons, new music, old music, lots of programs, no programs at all. And yet, many that they try to minister to simply reject the gospel out of hand. Why is that? Have you ever wondered why some people do not believe the gospel? Have you ever thought that God is not as successful as he should be? Have you ever thought that you were a failure because you could not convince a co-worker or a family member to claim the promises of Christ? Well, if so, then you and I have a need to hear the word of the Lord this evening in Exodus 7. We will see that obedience to God and His commands is not something that we can persuade others to do. Even when we have the best of motives and the greatest equipment for the task, the gospel of grace can be rejected. But we will also see that hardness of heart is God's concern, not ours. And that God is glorified in the hard heart as well as the soft heart. And so this evening, I would like us to see three things from this text. First, that the hard heart is rebellious. Second, that the hard heart is increasingly deaf and blind. And finally, that the hard heart shows God's glory. Let's begin then by looking at the fact that the hard heart is rebellious. We see this now as we pick up our story again of the conflict between Moses and Pharaoh. And now what we see is the struggle is about to begin in earnest. Moses has come to Pharaoh previously and has asked him to let the people of Israel go. Pharaoh has rejected him out of hand and Moses has become discouraged, despondent even. 
You can imagine what would have been going through Moses' mind. He's been sent on this mission by God himself. And God has told him what he will accomplish through him. We can think that Moses would have been expecting a swift victory with the power of God. And yet, and yet Moses is rejected and rebuked by Pharaoh. And this is where God comes to Moses with encouragement. We see this at the beginning of chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Now the first thing that we notice is this little word, see. It occurs throughout the Old Testament. And often it is a marker, a signal of God giving encouragement to his people. We see that here. God is picking up Moses, as it were, saying, See, look what I've done. Go on to the task that I've given you. We see it also in Deuteronomy chapter 1, where the Israelites aren't sure, as they come to the brink of the land, what they are to do. And the Lord tells the Israelites, See, the land is before you. Go into it. In the book of Joshua, before the battles of Jericho and the battle of Ai, God encourages Israel to go and to seize the land because he says, see, they are before you. Take them. Now, why does God need to give Moses this encouragement? Well, Moses has experienced something that perhaps you have as well in a similar way in your life. He has come fresh down, literally, from the mountain where he met with God and saw the Lord in his power and wisdom. And Moses was obedient to all that God told him to do. And yet he meets Pharaoh and receives violence and cruelty as his reward. At this point, what Moses sees is that the lot of the Israelites is worse than it was before he had come. You remember that Pharaoh's response was, if you're asking for the people to go, it must be because they're lazy. And so what they need to do is not only make bricks, they need to make bricks without straw. And we're not going to reduce the tally of the bricks by one. And the Israelites groaned under their bondage. Now, in this, Pharaoh reveals what a hard heart looks like. It's rebellious. We see it in the willful ignorance of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's hard heart is to respond to the command of God with insincerity and pride. You remember he claimed not to know God. Who is this God? And why should I listen to him? And he actually complained that Moses' message was a trick to undermine his own authority. Pharaoh was willfully ignorant. He's also disobedient. He refused to submit to God, and instead he held God in contempt. He said, why should I, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, obey this Lord? He refuses, in the hardness of his heart, to conform his life to the command of God. He will not let Israel go. Notice the verb here. It is not that he cannot, he will not. He chooses not to obey God. But more than ignorance and more than disobedience, the hard heart of Pharaoh takes depraved pleasure in Israel's suffering. We see this in the way that Pharaoh reacts to Moses and Aaron's request. Now, the Bible teaches us 
in Matthew chapter 12, that it is out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so what do we see from Pharaoh's mouth? We see that his heart delights in abusing God and in abusing God's people. He calls service to God idleness. And he repeats his rebellion against God. Out of Pharaoh's heart, his speech comes. And so as we hear his responses to the command of God, we have a window, as it were, into his heart. Now, God is not surprised by the content of Pharaoh's heart. You may recall that all the way back in chapter 4, verse 21, God has already told Moses that Pharaoh will not hear him. And God says, for the most part, the same thing here, that he will harden Pharaoh's heart for his own purposes. We see this in verse 3. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and although I multiply my signs and wonders, Pharaoh will not listen to you. God knows the content of Pharaoh's heart. Now, in fact, what seems a bit peculiar here in our text is that God is actually counting on Pharaoh disobeying. Why? What would happen if Pharaoh obeyed? Why doesn't God want to take the easy path here? Why doesn't God overcome the resistance of Pharaoh to make him obey? He says, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. What God is telling Moses and us here this evening is that the time for requests is done. It is very clear that now the battle is a spiritual one as well as a physical one. In verse 30, the same question that Moses posed to God in Exodus chapter 6, verse 12 is before us. Moses says, I'm probably not the right guy for this. I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. Moses wonders how he could possibly ever be persuasive enough to win over Pharaoh. But the interesting thing is, that when we hear God commanding Moses and Aaron to take action, it has nothing to do with techniques of persuasion. It has nothing to do with how they can try harder. The answer that God gives is a bit strange, isn't it? He says, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Now, it may be that the first time that you heard that, what you did immediately was look down in your study Bible to see what on earth was going on here. What is God saying? What does it mean? Well, what it means is God makes Moses a God to Pharaoh. What God is doing is establishing a relationship between Moses and Pharaoh that is very different from Pharaoh's perception. Pharaoh has assumed that Moses was beneath him. In Pharaoh's eyes... He is the God. He is the living representation of the Egyptian God. And who is Moses? He's a shepherd. And you remember what the Egyptians think of shepherds? Shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. 
So Pharaoh clearly looks at this relationship as if he has all of the authority, all of the power, all of the persuasion. But now instead, God will make Pharaoh take notice. We might think of it this way. God is going to show to Pharaoh that not only is he not a god, but that the Lord God's servant, Moses, is like a god over him. That's how distant Pharaoh is from God himself. That the servant of God will be like a god to Pharaoh. What God is doing here is calling things that do not exist as if they did. We looked at this this morning. That God creates the fulfillment of his will. He declares his will and he brings it about. Even if it is not in existence, he declares it and it is so. He did this with Abraham, declaring that Abraham was the father of many nations when he had no children. He declared that David's way was perfect. Now, if we stop and think about that for a moment, from our morning readings in 2 Samuel, we could say, how could David's way be perfect? What about Bathsheba? What about Absalom? What about all of the civil war? What about all of the things that David did to Uriah and to others? How could David possibly have his way be perfect? Because God declares it to be so. And when God declares something to be so, it is. And so God is reiterating to Moses the necessity of bringing the word of God to bear on Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart is rebellious and the solution to that is not to be more persuasive, not to be more convincing, but to merely bring the word of God. It is to speak all that I commanded you in Exodus 7, verse 12. Now this is very instructive for us. How often do we doubt that the word of God is sufficient? Aren't we prone in our daily lives, whether it's in evangelism, or raising children, or marriage, or our jobs, to try to find something better, something more relevant, something more comfortable than the word of God to accomplish the task? But God's command to us is very simple. Even in the worst of situations, even when hope is the most fleeting, when resistance appears the greatest, we are to trust in God's word. The second thing we see is that the hard heart is not only rebellious, it is increasingly deaf and blind. Now remember that God has already brought his word once to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has rejected it. Pharaoh has shown us that his heart is hard. And again, this should not surprise us, for the Bible speaks repeatedly of the hard heart that does not desire the word. Perhaps the best example of this is in the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. It speaks of the stony ground where the word does not take root. Now, if any of you have ever done any backyard gardening, you know that the very first thing you must do before you plant is you must till up the soil. You can't simply throw seed on top of hard ground. You have to break it up. You have to soften the earth so that the seed can take root and grow. 
And Ezekiel gives us a word picture of this in his prophecy when he says, unless a work of God's grace is done, we have hearts of stone that are unable to obey God's law. Now yet, even in the midst of this, God tells Moses to bring his word again to Pharaoh. He knows that Pharaoh will not listen. And he even tells Moses so. He says in verse 4, Pharaoh will not listen to you. So why does God do this? We see that God was indeed correct about Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron do exactly what they're commanded to do in verse 6 and verse 10. There is no more uncertainty from Moses. And yet, Pharaoh is not convinced. He asks for a sign, even as God has predicted that he would do. At the same time that God tells Moses that Pharaoh will not listen and that God himself will harden Pharaoh's heart, he also tells Moses that he will multiply his signs and wonders. And so we see here the further evidence of the grace of God. Pharaoh has already rejected the word of God. Remember chapter 5, verse 2. And yet God is yet willing to attest to that word with signs and wonders. What becomes very clear here is that God is not to blame for Pharaoh's unbelief. You see that? God is going the extra step, as it were. He brings his word once. He brings his word twice. He even brings signs and wonders to attest to the power of the word so that we can observe and see that it is Pharaoh who is to blame, not God. Pharaoh who has rejected God's grace. God had anticipated that Pharaoh would ask for a sign and notice that in verse 9. When Pharaoh says to you, not if, when Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle. Then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. Now, this is also not surprising, for in chapter 4 we also saw that the purpose of signs and wonders is to attest to the power of the word. They have no power in and of themselves, they are there to attest to the authority of of God's word. The very word here that is used for sign means a token or a signpost. We might picture it this way. It's as if God wants Moses to hold up a sign that leaves Pharaoh without excuse for disobeying God's word. In the same way we read of the Pharisees and the Sadducees asking for signs, not so that they could be persuaded but instead so they could justify their own disobedience. For Christ tells them that it is an evil and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. Now what happens next is extremely instructive for us. So often in our day and age, Christians are the ones seeking after signs. They believe that if God could only heal people, or if he would only show some miraculous hidden code in the Bible, then, yes then, the world will be persuaded and will believe. And so we have healing ministries in our midst, and itinerant evangelists who specialize in signs and wonders. And many Christians are convinced that if God would just move more in that way, 
revival and conversion would sweep the land. But the interesting thing is that rather than being impressed with the sign given by Moses, Pharaoh is quite unresponsive. His first reaction is not curiosity. It's not an openness to the things of God. It's actually continued rebellion. Again, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. And Pharaoh's response is to try and one-up God. Just as Moses called Aaron to cast the rod, so now Pharaoh calls on his magicians to do the same. Pharaoh summoned the wise men, in verse 11, and sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. Now, do not take this as anything other than a continued rebellion by Pharaoh. Those whom he calls are not magicians in the sense that we use the word. None of them is going to try to pull a rabbit out of a hat. No. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, verse 8, that two of them were named Janes and Jambres, and that they resisted Moses and also resisted the truth. What Pharaoh is here is typical of the unbeliever. He asks for proof, and then he proceeds to deny that the proof is proof. The evidence not only is not sufficient, according to Pharaoh, it's no evidence at all. Moses is simply doing exactly what Pharaoh can recreate. Now, why is that? Is it because the sign was insufficient? Or is it because Moses needed to be more persuasive? No. The answer is found in verse 3. It's because Pharaoh's heart is hard. He will not and he cannot obey. Our Lord Jesus Christ has told us that this would be the case for unbelievers. We see this in Matthew 13. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Why? lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Hear the words of our Lord. The reason they do not see, the reason they do not hear, is because they will not. They do not want to be persuaded. They do not want to hear the word of God. They do not want to turn. They do not want to be healed. And because of that, they do not see and they do not hear. It is not the fault of the one speaking the word of God. It is not God's fault. The fault lies in the wicked, rebellious sinner. So what does it mean then as we read that God hardens the heart of Pharaoh? Does that mean that God is responsible for Pharaoh's sin and that Pharaoh is innocent of all wrongdoing? Were the Israelites right to cast their blame on Moses, God's messenger, rather than on Pharaoh for their recent difficulties? Well, I have to tell you that with Paul, we must shout, God forbid. As we look at this passage, 
Do not lose the context. Do not make the mistake of assuming that Pharaoh was a simple, misunderstood monarch before God decided to harden his heart. No. Who was Pharaoh? Pharaoh Pharaoh was a wicked, evil man who came from a line of rulers who plotted murder and pain and suffering. He had already refused to obey God, giving ample proof of his sinful prideful condition. He was like everyone else in the world. He's not morally neutral. We might think of it this way. Have you ever tried to shovel some Texas clay after a bright, hot, sunny day? What happens to clay as the sun beats down upon it? It becomes hard, doesn't it? It does its best impression of cement. So much so that if you want to shovel clay, you wait for it to rain, don't you? So that it's more malleable and you can pull it out. But let me ask you another question. What would happen if you took a candle and put it out on the sidewalk on that same hot, sunny day? What would happen to the candle? It would melt, wouldn't it? Now, has the sun changed? Why such a different effect of the sun upon clay or the sun upon wax? The difference is not in the property of the sun, but in the property of that which the sun acts upon. God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart shows that he is sovereign. And he hardens Pharaoh's heart by revealing his mercy and grace to Pharaoh, which Pharaoh rejects. Proverbs 21, verse 1, puts this principle very well. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And we see this principle elsewhere in the scriptures. We'll see it next Sunday morning as we look at Romans chapter 9. That God has mercy on those whom he will have mercy But we see it also in Romans chapter 1. We see that God gave up sinners to their own uncleanness, to the lusts of their hearts, to the dishonor of their bodies. That God gave them up to themselves. That was what hardening their hearts looked like. One of the most frightening things that we can imagine is if God leaves us to our own devices and sin. And what God does is he actively hardens Pharaoh's heart by giving him over to himself. He withdraws his grace from Pharaoh. He withdraws his mercy from Pharaoh. This is the last place where we will see an offer of mercy and grace from God to Pharaoh. In every instance after this, there are only words of judgment. God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. He is leaving him in his sin. And we see further from our text that God is bringing his word. He's bringing his signs. And indeed, he is hardening Pharaoh's heart so that his plan will be accomplished in the manner in which he desires. They are, after all, God's signs and wonders. And Pharaoh will not listen to God so that God will lay his hand upon Egypt in judgment. 
God's hardening is for one purpose. His glory. From this point on, this act in the drama of redemption is poised to show the glory of God in two things. Mercy and judgment. We see this in an interesting turn of phrase that we see that begins in verse 12. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. If we look ahead to Exodus chapter 15, we see a very similar phrase bookending this entire series of events. In chapter 15, verse 12, in the Song of Moses, we read, You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. It's the same turn of phrase. They act as bookends to God's judgment upon Egypt. And the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. So this evening, do not be surprised by resistance to the gospel. Do not be surprised when you see failure in your attempts to spread the gospel. In fact, it might be a sign of victory rather than defeat. Ours is not to reason why. Ours is simply to obey the Lord. We are called to give all glory to God who holds the heart in His hand. Pray that the Lord would have mercy to those who are around you to soften their hearts and to attend to your words that God might be glorified in His mercy. Let's pray.